Oh, so good. We love Faith. We love Faith. She's incredible. Well, man, you know it's so fun. Okay, well, hi, I'm Rory. My wife is Mari. Yeah. We're from California, so just a skip and a 16-hour flight across the pond of the Pacific, and you're there. Oh, so good to be here. Um, you know what's so fun? This, okay, so this so feels like home. I was, I got saved in a very Pentecostal church in Texas, and I own like four or five shofars that my daughters blow. So when I heard this shofar, I've been to Israel a couple times, I am that Pentecostal. And <laughs> like, it was just so good. I heard the shofar. I was like, wow, my daughters blow a shofar in our backyard. And people make fun of me. And they're like, how do you know you're a Pentecostal family? You have shofars. And your kids can all blow them. It's really funny. And they can blow them better than us, actually. My kids are like seven, five, and two. The seven and five-year-old, they, I don't know what happened. Their lung capacity is so strong. I'm like, wow, good job. <laughs> Anyways, so fun. Before we start, um, I actually do have a message. Totally was a different message than I thought coming in here, but one I definitely feel. Um, but I got some words for people. And I sometimes, you know, I don't always do this, but sometimes if I'm in worship and I get prophetic words, we'll go after it. And so, uh, yeah, I'm really excited. So uh, if you know what a prophetic word is, I'm going to take some risks. Um, I love to take risks. I'm okay if I'm wrong. And you can please be honest with me. Do not make it up. Um, it will not hurt my feelings. I have been wrong, and then I've been right. And it feels good either way. And so don't, you don't have to, you know, like, oh, wow, that was so good. And then go home and be like, that was not it. <laughs> I'm okay with it. I'm not, I really am, actually. Um, and so uh, I'll start with... Uh, um, and forgive me because I cannot remember your name, even though I've met you. What was it? Nathan. Thank you. Uh, I met so many people in the last four days. I'm like, and we've just been at different places, but I keep seeing similar people that it's just meshing. I had to like ask Faith, where does all of your family live? Because I keep seeing them all in different cities. <laughs> Anyways, I figured it out. Um, yeah, Nathan, I, I felt something for you, bro. Uh, I. When I saw you standing there in this, again, I'm going to have you take it, and you can do whatever you want with it, and I don't care if you throw it out. I don't care if you, like, smash on it or you receive it. You need to judge this. Um, but as you were standing there, and it's kind of a, a risky word. That's why I say this, so just pray into it. Um, but I, I heard the Lord say um, his feet are going to land on many nations. And I felt like there was going to be a... a uh, uh, missional thing. I don't want to say missionary. I didn't hear missionary. I just heard a missional thing that would land on many nations, and you would um, travel a lot. And I really felt like uh, there was such a purity in you, and a almost like a, a David thing. That um, And I heard the Lord say, uh, man, he's going to defeat giants privately, so that publicly in Australia, you're going to take down giants in Australia. But it's going to come from private victories, and um, pretty cool, but I, I felt really strong to tell you this now, because I, I have a feeling you haven't faced your first one yet, 
And so almost like something was about to come into your life that you're going to go, oh, this feels big, but the Lord's like, hey, it's a lion, it's a bear first. There's a progression um, that will set you up for your call and to something that you're going to step into and almost to go, the moment you see something that feels big, and you're like, whoa, why is this in my life? This is a word for you to go, oh, this is the first thing. This is that lion or the bear that I get to overcome, that I get to defeat before the Lord publicly does something with me. And so we just bless you, Nathan. You're incredible. Your heart for God is incredible. It's very inspiring. Um, the, the guy in the gray beanie, right there, yeah, you, yellow shirt. Man, you just side-eyed me. He was like, what? <laughs> Uh, it's so good. I, write, I wrote this down. We'll see if I get it. But um, I'm going to take another few risks, so please be honest, okay? Uh, so I, I heard the Lord say um, that he sees you. He's the God who sees you. Like his eye was on you. What's your name, by the way? Jelen. Wow. That is such an Australian name that I'm not going to be able to say that well. <laughs> It's okay, Jalen. I'm very American, so I realize my A's are so harsh. I'm very sorry about that, but you know, what do you do? So, Jalen. Uh, thank you. Uh, I, just, I felt like the eye of the Lord was on you, like he sees you. And then this is the, this is the couple things that I was feeling. So this is where you can tell me if I'm right or wrong. I, I all of a sudden, like, um, this sounds weird, but I almost like saw a picture of like your mother, and I don't know what's going on, if there's something happening with your mother or not. I felt like, um, let me just think on it, I, I saw your mom, and I was like, man, what does this mean, God? And I, I felt like there was something that was about to transpire with you and your mom. And I don't know if it's going to be a reconnecting of a relationship, a deepening of a relationship, I don't even know what it means, but I felt like the Lord said, I see you, and that relationship was the one that he was watching for some reason, was you and your mom. And then I heard, um, he's got a business idea that God wants to bless, and I don't know if you're into business or you have a business idea that you haven't shared with many people, but I heard the Lord say, take the risk and go after the business venture, um, that take the risk, whatever idea you have been dreaming about, um, you actually are supposed to take the risk to make it a business. Okay, does that make sense? You can just say yes. You don't have to tell me what it is. Yes. Okay, cool. Awesome. Thanks. So good. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so then there was a woman in the back here. You have a green scarf on. And you're, yep, yeah, you. You just turned around. You're like, wait, me? What? Um, so good. Roz. Roz. Come on, that's a great name. Um, uh, I, I don't know what this means, but I, when I just looked back, I heard the Lord say, I've got this. And I don't know if there's something happening in your life or family that has been very weighing on you, but I heard the Lord say, I've got this. And that was all I got. And I was like, man, she's going to know what this means. But I feel like you're supposed to almost trust to lay down whatever this thing that's been burdening you because God's got this. And, and, and you need to be aware that he's been listening to you and hearing you. Um, and, he, and he's got it. That's all I got. So I'm going to pray. You're good. So good. Um, yeah, last one. It, uh, I saw uh, for Mel. The best. I love Mel. Um, and again, this will be some risk, so we'll see. I, um, I, I felt like I saw 12 months 
in my mind, so it was a year, and um, I felt like this next year was going to be a significant year of breakthrough for you in a lot of areas that you feel like haven't been getting breakthrough. I, I saw 12 months, and it was going to be almost like a, I don't know, a different version of you was going to come out on the other side of this 12 months, and... Um, and it was in two areas, specifically, there was other things that I'm sure you will know that you've been praying for, but one, I felt like there was a prophetic anointing and gift on you that was going to really come on the scene in the next 12 months, that was supposed to really be awakened, and that there, and I heard the Lord specifically say, prophetess, and I don't know if you have not been accepting that, to go, oh, I'm, I don't know if I want to call myself that. No, God, I like just the, I like just being the, I don't, I don't need a title. And I hear the Lord going, no, 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 a title brings authority, and you actually need to own it to actually step into the anointing that you carry. And, um, and sleep was about to get easy. And I heard the Lord say, sleep is about to get easy, and that was part of, yeah, okay. Um, it was a part of this year-long breakthrough. Sleep was about to get easy because you were going to have dreams in the night that were significant and that you're not going to... Um, I feel like there's been... Like right now, I, and, and I'm just taking a risk, so if I'm wrong here, just throw it out. Um, but I, I see pills to go to bed, and the Lord's like, I'm going to change that because you have to remember your dreams. And I feel like he's going to reset your sleep in this season because you need to remember your dreams. That's going to be part of this prophetic anointing in a new way is powerful dreams over this region. And... Um, and so I just want to pray for you specifically for the sleep. I don't know why that felt so significant. And so, Father, we just bless Mel. And God, we just thank you that you grant sleep to the righteous. And she is righteous because of your blood, Jesus. She is righteous in you. And we just rebuke the enemy and the devourer that has been trying to steal sleep, that has been trying to steal dreams. And we release the healing power of Jesus over your body, over your mind, over sleep, over rest that it was about to be an ease to sleep, an ease of falling asleep and staying asleep. And we bless you right now in Jesus' name. Um, and then one other thing I got was just for this church, so I really hope this is okay, Pastor Andrew, and you can again go whatever you want with this. Um, it's really funny you were saying um, like a beacon church. I, I heard this way before you started talking. This was actually right, right when we started worship. I heard this is a lighthouse church, a beacon of hope. And then I heard in six months, a, a, a new season is coming over the church. And um, I then saw a big door close. Like in this six months period, there was this door that closed and a new door opened. And, and I then was reminded of a testimony that just happened to our kids. And I was like, I don't know if this is going to happen to you guys, but I was reminded the moment I saw six months, this is a beacon church. It's a lighthouse church that's about to be a drawing place for people, but something is closing, something's opening. And I heard honey of God. And I just took a group of teenagers to Northern Ireland. And while we were there, one of our students who had not encountered um, God really in her life, and she'd been asking God to encounter her, and I can't remember exactly how it worked. I think she was asking God to reveal himself 
um, to her, and somebody goes, God's going to, you know, reveal, um, he's going to pour his honey out on you, and she was like, okay, whatever that means, and she was worshiping, she knelt down, and she sat on the floor, and we were in this, like, we're at a youth conference, and all of a sudden, she's like, oh, no, somebody spilled something all over the floor, and it's all over my socks and legs, and she stood up, and she touched it, and it was sticky, and honey had, like, as she went down to the spot, honey was all over, and then by the end of the conference, there was nothing on the ground, but her sock was completely yellow of honey, sticky. It was like radical for her, and it just materialized. And I, I felt like when I thought of it, I don't know if it's going to be honey materializing, but I felt like the supernatural realm um, was really going to increase. And I don't know if that's the six-month thing, like something's opening up, but I really felt like there was going to be a new level of supernatural manifestations that were very awe and wonder and crazy, like honey, like how you did. It was crazy. So bless you with that. Super cool. Love the Pentecostal. Love it. Anyways, um, so fun. Well, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to, um, I, I would love everyone to open up to Luke 7. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually read a story in the Bible. And what I want to talk on tonight is um, a message near and dear to my heart. It's probably one of the uh, a, a pivotal core message in me. And I actually have only ever shared this this thing with track students in our BSSM, kind of like a very closed, we do um, in our Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry, sorry, I just way went weird, Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry of a ministry school, and there's students that take a youth track. And I always talk to this group of students about gaining heaven's perspective for people. And that in youth ministry, the first step is to gain heaven's perspective because if you look at people through natural eyes, you will miss the gold every time. But if you can see through heaven's perspective, it is crazy um, what you can believe about people. It is crazy what you can draw out of people when you see through heaven's perspective. And when I work with youth, me and my wife are the youth pastors at Bethel, so we work, we oversee the 11 through 18 year olds. And there is a lot of squirrely kids. Um, they are, you know, every, it, it, it's funny, we work with the group that's probably that, the most emotional. They're all going through puberty. They all don't know what they're feeling. And, and you're like, wow. And we just have a group of them running around trying to figure out God and all of this. And sometimes <laughs> you have to like, whoa, God, how do you see this person? Because if I look at a natural lens, I will miss the destiny, the calling, the purpose, the anointing, the greatness that a student has if I see through my natural eyes. And so many people, um, it's crazy in the church, and I'm sure this is uh, worldwide, but in the church, we're really good at singing songs, understanding our own demise, like Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, Who Saved a Wretch Like Me. We, do you guys sing that song? Yes, pretty worldwide famous. Super quick to understand our own wretchedness, however you say that. What we're not really good at 
is realizing when a person has gone from a sinner to a saint, the greatness. We're like really good at seeing our wretchedness. We're not really good at seeing our greatness. And, and we really go, man, when we're ministering to people and, and actually going to be a, a place of hope, a place of light, a place of goodness and the kindness of God that leads people to repentance, you, you, be, you have to become a person that sees like Jesus sees. And he was able to see people that wouldn't have qualified for the greatness of the day, and yet they were the very people that he chose to become great. And when you can do that, you start taking some of the, the craziest souls that you're like, there's no way, and you're like, I can believe for you. You can have a wayward son or daughter, and you're like, I'm no longer thrown by your waywardness. I'm very in tune to what God is saying. I am very aware of what God is saying. I, I mean, I have family members that are, all of my siblings do not love God. I have three other siblings. We were all raised in the church. We all have been hurt by the church. I'm the only one that was actually caught into a different flow and brought out of it. I'm it. And my siblings, like, hate what I do, or they don't understand what I do. It's like one of the two. And part of my, it's really interesting, actually, because people would think, some people think that once you're a pastor, your whole family saved. I'm like, I wish. I wish that's how it worked. It doesn't work that way. But we all have a choice. But part of my job, even with my siblings, is to see the potential. And it's hard. Especially with family, that's probably the hardest place, is when you know them, you see them all the time, and you're familiar with them, you're like, oh, they've done the same mistakes for 30 years, there's no way. And God's like, hey, could I save you? I can save them. And there's this weird lie, that this, this thing we're going to break, because I, I'm a youth pastor, but I try to break this everywhere, then we're going to read this passage. But I just... Ooh, I'm trying to break it everywhere. There's this weird thing that everyone's like, it's the youth, the youth, the youth are going to do this. And I'm like, man, can God only touch young people? And everyone's like, they're, they're so they're so moldable. That's when God wants to touch them. I'm like, wow, stop listening to the devil trying to convince you that the only time you can get saved is for six years of your life. What? Like, it blows my mind. And I'm like, I never read that in the Bible. I didn't see the 12 disciples get sent off and the 72 get sent off and Jesus is like, hey, make sure you find the youth because all the other ones, too late for them. Too late. I'm like, what is happening? And there's this weird thing, like revival will come through the youth. And I'm like, well, that's odd because it was, as for me and my house will serve the Lord, as fathers and mothers actually establish the kingdom, then it flows to the household. If you notice in Acts, there was always a dad, a head of the household that got saved, that then the whole house got saved. Very rare was it coming through youth. It can, but it doesn't always. And what it has done is it has put so much pressure on young people and it has stolen responsibility from the other generations to go, no, no, no. Uh, those in our 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, you are the wise intercessors, the fathers, the mothers, the warriors that are going, we see in the spirit, we know how to. 
the kid is like, I have no idea what's happening. I'm just emotionally being thrown by society. Moms and dads are like, uh-uh, we know what's happening. And we can speak into it and prophesy and change atmospheres. And I just want to encourage you with that. It is so, like everybody in this room, you have a divine purpose for being in Bellarat. You have a divine purpose for being in this city. You have a divine purpose. And it is not just to fill a seat. It is not just to do life as normal. It is to bring the kingdom of God and to see with the right eyes and to go, every person in this city is actually a potential son or daughter. Because remember, we're only sons and daughters through faith in Jesus Christ. So everybody has a potential of being a son or daughter. It's time to see that. Okay, so we're going to read this thing in the Bible. It's really good. It's a long, a, a long story, but I think we can hang. It's pretty good. Um, so Luke 7, we're going to start reading in verses 36. And guess what? I'm going to read till verse 50. So if you're like, oh my gosh, that's a lot. It is, it is a lot, and I'm, I'm okay with it. It's going to be good. It's 16 verses or 14 verses. And it goes like this. Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him, Jesus, to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he, Jesus, was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and kept wiping them with her hair of her head, and kissing his feet, and anointing them with perfume. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet... He would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. So remember this. If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what kind of woman this is, that she's a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, Say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with her perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. Then he said to her, Your sins have been forgiven. And those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has served you. Go in peace. This is an intriguing story to me, and it was one that messed me up when I first got saved. And it was because when I got saved, I was a, um, I didn't have a wild in the sense of how the church and the world sometimes describes wild, which I hate. We're all dead. We all come to life. I hate how testimonies are shared sometimes. The testimony is the greatness of God, not the greatness of sin. But it has made people go, I want a crazy story. And for me, I was a shut down kid. I got bullied a lot. 
I was very, I had so much social anxiety and panic, I didn't talk to a lot of people. I shook a lot when I would talk. It's funny that I talk to people now, but I had so much anxiety, so much panic, I would just shake if I interacted with anybody. Like, it was very hard for me to have friends, interact, all that kind of stuff. Until I got saved. Actually, me getting saved was such a radical encounter, my personality changed. And I lost a lot of friends because I started talking. Not because I loved Jesus. I just, like, boom, had opinions. I was talking. I was so confident. I was like, oh, I don't know what happened to me. I went to this camp, and I met Jesus. Like, it was crazy. But something happened when I read this story after I got saved. And it really hurt me. I said, God, I don't understand. I haven't been forgiven of much. So will I never be able to love much? I haven't been forgiven of much. I don't know what... And, and it was the f this first moment where I had the revelation of how dead in sin a person is outside of Jesus. That you can't be a good person. There's no such thing. And it's where works has so integrated itself into the church that we're like, oh, they're a good person. I'm like, no, they're a dead person. Like, that's it. That's all we have. And when you get that, you're like, oh, I don't want to see people walking dead all around me as if it's fine. Like, you gain such a heart for people when you go, oh, no wonder I was dead. I wasn't just socially awkward. It wasn't that I wasn't wild. I was dead. Meeting Jesus, I became alive. I was forgiven of the debt of sin. When you understand that, you're like, oh, I can love a lot because I realize it is all the same debt. Like, my debt, and if somebody was in, let's say they had wild, crazy living, and drinking, and drugs, and out, you name it, think of the worst thing, and crime, and stealing, and all the worst thing. Think of the worst thing you can think of. Their debt, and your debt, and my debt, same. That is hard to comprehend in a society where we label debt. We label sin. We're like, that sin way worse than your sin. My, and we're labeling. We're trying to figure out where do we exist in the level of goodness. There's no way to exist in the level of goodness. The Bible says there's no one good but God alone. And the only way we get good is when he becomes inside of us. Then we become good. Wow, because it's his goodness. Outside of God, no one is good, and they are not alive. They're dead in sin. And it brought me to this understanding, if I'm going to have eyes to see people accurately, one thing I have to understand is how much the cross did for me. Because the challenge from these Pharisees was this. If you're a prophet, so the thing that was challenged was, Jesus, if you were able to see accurately, if you were able to see accurately, you would know who this woman is. So the prophetic is what is actually challenged in this story. If you were a prophet, if you could see, you would know that this woman is a sinner. And Jesus then flips the script and going, no, 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 I know exactly who this woman is. I see differently. I see potential. I see heart. I see what's possible. I see what a life can become. But the only way we can see that is we have to understand our own salvation need. We have to get out of the false idea that good people 
are alive. And that's not trying to be offensive. That should break us. I look at my family and I go like this. They're not alive. They can do all the good stuff. They can, they can try to succumb their conscience. They can do all that. I'm aware. They're not alive. They're dead in their sin. The price of sin has not been paid for because they have not taken the free gift of salvation to pay the debt. So it's not paid for. They've never gotten resurrection life back in them. But what do I see? Because I understand my own, oh my God, I see that you can see potential in anybody. So I want to see your ways. I can go, oh, I know what my little brother can become. I know what I'm praying for. I know who he is when God reaches him. God, I know your plan for his life. Just because he walked away from you, just because he's living in sin, just because he's absolutely renounced all of this stuff, doesn't mean he's lost, you've lost the plan. I'm not going to be in denial and say, wow, he's walking saved, he's figuring out his salvation. No, he doesn't know God. I'm aware of that. I de- denial is one of the worst sins in the church. It stops intercession. Denial stops powerful prayers. When we deny truth and what's actually happening, it hinders intercession. When we deny that there's dead people around us, when there's people that are without God, when there's people in need of a Savior, when we deny truth, we hinder the intercession of the Holy Spirit. But when I come face to face with the reality and go, my little brother, who I used to be best friends with, who went to Bible school, who lived in Reading, who did BSSM, our Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry. He did all three years. Can absolutely walk away from God, live a different life, totally, completely take us out of his life. I either can keep lying to myself and be like, he's on a journey, he's on a journey, or I can stop and go, no, 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 my brother's walked away from God. He's completely renounced. God have mercy on him. I want to step into an intercession world to go, God have mercy. I want eyes to see what you see so I'm not hurt, angry, offended. I'm not pushing him out. I'm, I'm interceding. I want that prophetic eye to see. And here's why this is really important. Because even in this story, what I love is that he was resetting who this woman was. Because to everyone, she was a sinner. To Jesus, he was seeing the heart. And when we see ourselves, even us, when we can see ourselves through the lens of Jesus, through the cross, through forgiveness, redemption, the blood, when we see that we're no longer sinners, we're saints. Like he actually redeems us to saints. So we can't say we're dirty sinners because we've been made saints. Okay, so this is important because if I see myself as a saint, how I view myself is how I then can view the world around me. So I will have hope for the world around me when I have hope in who he, what he's done for me. And it will drive me to not live a normal Christian life. It'll go, I want to see people around me have a revelation of Jesus. I want to see people come to a knowledge of Jesus. It's not enough for me to just go, well, I go to church and I worship wholeheartedly. And he's going, that's beautiful. 
But we want people to have a revelation of the Son that they go from death to life in the same way we have. And we, when we are gripped with our own salvation, our own need of, of God, going, wow, God, you made me a new creation. That means I went from dead, sin, separated, to alive in you. You have made a new reality for me. I want to do that for others. This is how I stay in youth ministry. This is how I stay in ministry and love people. Because I'm like, God, no matter how squirrely, no matter how crazy, no matter the ones that walk away or cuss me out, guess what? I have gotten cussed out plenty of times by kids. I have been all of the above. Imagine everything possible that could ever exist in a youth ministry. We have had it happen in our youth ministry. We have a lot of kids, and, and they're all figuring out if they want to serve God. And my job is to go, God, I see your plan. So that when they're doing drugs in the back, I see the plan. Hey, you're not, you're not getting kicked out of this youth ministry. I actually need you to come in even closer. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you feel really weird that I'm pulling you in in the midst of sin because I know the reason you're doing this is you haven't had a revelation of Jesus. So what do we expect sinners to do? This is important. What do I expect sinners to do? Sin. So hold on. People that don't know God, what do we expect them to do? Sin. So are we shocked when sin is around? So it seems scary. No, because we're, we're like aware of it. I'm like, I expect you to do that. I'm not like shocked. I'm not like, wait, what? This is brand new information. I'm a church person. I can't believe that you... I expect it. But now what do I expect, though, from the church? The nature of righteousness. Doesn't mean we always get it right. This is why we're all from glory to glory, transformation, consecration, all those beautiful things. But it means that our heart is towards righteousness. Okay? Our heart is towards righteousness. And I just want to encourage us with this. Because if we are to see a move of God, and there's something happening in Australia, it is, I think everyone needs to be aware that God's eye is on Australia. And there is a, there is a very strong focus on Australia, even where we're from. Can you believe this? In Reading, Australia gets brought up all the time in our staff meetings, in testimonies, in prophetic school moments. Australia. It is a theme that gets brought up. Isn't that cool? It's exciting. And I think we all need to be aware of this because when you're aware that God's eye, sometimes when you live in it, and you're going to work, and you're doing laundry, and you're doing dishes, right? And your kids cry, <laughs> and they don't sleep through the night, and you have soccer practice, and rowing practice, you know, AFL, all this stuff, right? And you're like, wow, I, I feel like I'm just in a schedule. You can forget that God would actually be doing something over the nation. And I think what I would love us to get is a, a heaven's perspective to go, 
God is doing something over this nation, and it has to do with the starting of a move of the Holy Spirit to see people come to know Jesus. Like there's a very evangelistic thing when God is calling this nation back to him. And what our job will be in the church is to go, I can see people for who God sees them as, so that when the person that is the craziest person in town walks through these doors, what our first thought is embrace. Our first thought is, oh God, you're doing something. Not, oh my gosh, they're here. Pharisees, Pharisees are the only ones in the Bible that freaked out when certain people came in the room. We don't want that religious spirit ever. We never want to partner with the religious spirit that gets freaked out by somebody being in the church. Everyone is welcome in a church. That is the role of the church, is to be a place that reveals Jesus. It is Jesus to the earth. It is, it is uncomfortable. I get it. I get it. It's uncomfortable. We are from a big church. That means we attract a lot of different variety of people. Okay? And sometimes you're like, God, that them too. Okay. That's awesome. Yes. We love everyone. I mean, I'm telling you, you want to see some characters come to Bethel Church and you're like, wow. Wow. God, you have a sense of humor. You love everyone. This is wild. <laughs> you know? And and this is important to know because when a church is, when, when a region starts having them, like, Revelings of revival, it is so quickly shut down by the church that prayed for it. Because it is uncomfortable. Because it's really hard to see with heaven's perspective to go, oh, we want all people to come to know Jesus. Even the weirdo or the scary person or the sinner. Like, we want everybody. Oh, no. I remember praying something and I... I don't regret it, but it has challenged me more than anything else I've ever prayed. And I said, God, I want our youth ministry in Reading. I always want to have lost people in it. I'm okay if you bring us anybody in the city. I was terrified to pray it, because I was like, I know we're going to get anybody. And that means I'm really going to have to work on my values. And I'm going to have to work on my beliefs. And that meant we get a lot of kids from juvenile hall. We get a lot of kids from broken families. We get a lot of kids from foster care, actually, in our youth ministry. We attract a lot of kids that don't know God. And they make messes. Why? Because what do sinners do? <sighs> they sin. Oh, my gosh. So all of a sudden, you're like, wow, what happened in our youth group? And parents are like, did you know what happened on Wednesday night? And I'm like, yes. You know what that's called? It's called you should be thankful. And they're like, what? And I'm like, you should be thankful that a kid could find their way into our youth ministry that had drugs in his pocket. You should be thankful. And they're like, what? And I'm like, why else do we do this? And you know what's crazy? I'm not even an evangelist. Like, my gift mix is pastor, prophet. There's my two. Love the prophetic, very pastoral. I'm like, I will sit with you, meet with you, talk to you, work through all this stuff with you. I'm there. We're all called to carry the fivefold gift, though. So evangelists, you're like, oh, he's an evangelist. I'm not. I actually am not. I have had to grow in the, in the understanding of my own salvation to go, God, I care about what you care about. You care about people. You care about people. 
So even as a pastor, I'm like, oh, you care about all people. Okay, as a prophet, you care about all people. As a, Like, it doesn't matter. You care about people. You died for people. And so I want to encourage you as a congregation, get ready for people to come into these doors that you feel like don't belong. And you're going to know you're on the right track. And it's going to maybe offend some of you. And I want to encourage you, let the offense rise up and then surrender it. I get offended too. And so if you're like, I never want to get offended, no, we're all going to get offended. It's offensive. Like sometimes when God's like, no, that person's supposed to be here, and I'm like, wow, oh my gosh, okay, wow, yes, God, that kid, he's in, we love him. How many times is he going to make a mess? Yes. How many phone calls? So many. Okay. And and I have to remember, oh, you've given me young people to reach. So he is giving you guys a city. And that means he's going to bring in people that you're going to go, it's going to catch It's going to catch off guard. And I think I'm here to give this like exhortation. Uh, that's what I was feeling, an exhortation to go, be ready for new people to come through these doors that are going to need mothers and fathers. And they're going to need people place, a safe place to land, a place that goes, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know who Jesus is. I don't understand what's happening here. I, I don't have any of the cultures and values. I actually, everything I'm doing is actually offending everyone in this room right now, and I'm not even meaning to. And those are the people that you're like, oh, hey, come here. Come as you are, but leave as you're supposed to be. I love that. This is how I do it. I don't do the whole come as you are, stay as you are. I'm like, I don't care. Come as you are, I don't care. But leave as God intended you to be. Like, come as you are, but we're going to preach the gospel, we're going to live the Holy Spirit, and leave as you're intended to be. Like, there's the difference. Like, come as you are, we're very open. But leave as God actually created you. And we can do that through seeing accurately. And so my prayer for this congregation in this church is to be a lighthouse. And why are lighthouses needed? They're for travelers that have lost their way. It's for ships that have lost their way and they no longer know how to get safely home. And you are going to start attracting people that have lost their way. And people that have lost their way in darkness have usually scars, they're hurting, they're broken, they're on their last leg, and all they need is the love and support and the truth of the gospel that brings people from death to life. Gospel is not rules. It brings people from death to life. It is the best thing that can happen to a person. Amen? Amen. So I just want us to pray. I know this is kind of a weird, unconventional way, but I want us all to stand up. I'm going to commission us because I feel like their age knows no boundary in the kingdom. Why is this important? Because whether you're 90 or 9, 90 years old or 9, God didn't say go into all the world and preach the gospel if you're 12 to 18. God didn't say go into all the world and preach the gospel and hear the sick raise the dead or you know, make disciples of all nations if you're in your 30s. He actually didn't put an age range on it because he knew all generations were needed. 
all generations are needed. There is no retirement in the kingdom. So if you're retired, you can retire from the job. But there's no retirement in the kingdom. We need moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, brothers and sisters. We need the family to actually restore. And you'd be shocked. How many young people even, how many 30-year-olds need a grandpa or a grandma? They need a mom and a dad. They need somebody that goes, hey, come here. You're going to come and eat at our house. And they're like, we don't belong at your house. No, you do actually. We're going to teach you that you actually, you do belong here. Right? And so I want to I just pray for us all. And so if you're in this, because this is actually, I, I really, I feel this was a challenging word because I feel like something is going to start happening that you guys cannot control. It's the, like, I, I'm honestly, I feel it, this pulling in of lost people to get radically saved. Not just to come in here and go, wow, this is weird. No, no, no. To have an encounter with God that changes their life. And so if you're in this and you're like, I am ready to be one of those people that can see like Jesus, so that when that person walks in, my first thought is, I'm on it, God. I can see the potential. I can see. I see what you're doing. I'm aware. Oh my gosh, they smell really bad. Awesome! Do you know how many young people smell really bad and I have to hug them and God's like, this is your moment. And I'm just hugging the 13-year-old that doesn't shower. And they're crying and it smells so bad. And I'm like, how? How do you smell this bad? What is your parents doing? Why have they not told you? And yet, I'm, and they are weeping. It sounds crazy. I know y'all are laughing, but it's true. This is my life. This is what we do. This is youth ministry. In the same way, you're going to have people walk through these doors. They're going to smell like alcohol. They're going to smell like they haven't taken a shower. They're going to smell like drugs. And you're going to have to go, that's the person. Okay. Right away. Oh, you're, you're, and that person's going to go, I'm embarrassed. And you're like, but I'm not embarrassed of you. God's not embarrassed of you. He loves you. Okay. So if you're in this, I mean, the gospel, it, it is real work. <laughs> it's real work. I want you to put your hands out. I just feel like a commissioning that the Lord is calling this church to be a lighthouse church that guides people back home to the Father. And so, Father, we just thank you right now that you are commissioning this church. You are commissioning Family Life Center. You're commissioning this body of believers to be a lighthouse and a place where, where lost travelers that are getting thrown by life and culture and the waves of society are about to find their way home. And Father, I thank you that you are commissioning and anointing this house to be a place where people set captives free. To heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse lepers, to see freedom to those that are held bound by sin, sin and slavery. God, we just thank you that Isaiah 61 will be a pivotal chapter for this church. I just feel Isaiah 61, that you are about to rebuild ruined cities. And it's crazy. Ballarat may not look like a ruined city, but when people, God looks at people, when people are in darkness, that means the city is in ruin. God looks at people who are temples of the Holy Spirit. When people are in darkness, the city is in ruin. 
And Father, we just thank you that you are blessing this church to see with your eyes, to see with your eyes the greatness that is about to come through these doors, the lost that are about to be found. We thank you for a mothering and a fathering anointing on this place to attract lost sons and daughters back home. Father, we just bless this house. We bless this house with your goodness, with your presence, and may the supernatural increase. May manifestations increase. May signs and wonders increase. Lost people need a revelation of the real God. They don't need a watered-down gospel. They need a revelation, experiential revelation that Jesus is alive. So we bless this house. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.